Hi everyone, I'm Leah, if you don't know me. The reading today is Mark uh, 10, 17 to 31, which is on page 822 in the Church Bibles. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Thanks, Leah. It would be great if you could keep those. You know, Bible's open to Mark chapter 10. Uh, my name's Andrew, I haven't met you before. I'm one of the pastors here at Sedona Hill. Why don't I pray? And then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you're a God who's big enough to handle our questions, uh, that you welcome questions, that you want us to come to you and ask the questions that we have. And so now we pray that as we come to your word and we ask this question of how good is good enough, that you might speak clearly to us, that we might hear what... Jesus has to say and that we might be transformed by it. Lord, we thank you that you give us your spirit and we pray that he might speak uh, to us by your word tonight. And we pray this uh, in the great name of Jesus. Amen. So our question for our last uh, in the series is, how good is good enough? Hey, Jesus, how good is good enough? I was reading the paper during the week this week, um, and I read this editorial, and it was a, a person kind of describing their life, uh, and, and they were kind of building to justify why there was something in their life that they refused to do. But it began like this, and it's kind of this it's kind of self-conscious, self-justification monologue. And it begins like this. He's, he wrote this. He said, I'm an assertive driver... I'm not aggressive, because that word is too aggressive, but I'm decisive with my speed. Uh, Still, if I'm attempting to merge and someone lets me in, I'll roll down my window and wave to them. And if it's raining, I will still wave and just get a wet hand. I pray before all my meal. I pray before my meals, but not every meal, only meals with meat in it. Um, I tip generously, regardless of how bad the service was. I attempt to be the last to get into an elevator and the last to exit. Although sometimes this can backfire when multiple people are playing the same elevator chicken game and the door closes. 
which is why I prefer the stairs. Uh, when I ride the bus, I won't just give up my seat for women or elderly people or those who appear to have a physical disability. I won't even sit down if the bus looks busy and seats are limited. Few things make me feel better about myself than when I do this. In my own mind, there is no difference between me standing in the aisle on a bus, satisfied with my sacrifice. There's no difference between that and a soldier diving on a live grenade to save his fellow troops. Do I do all these things because I'm a good person? Or is it just a performance of socially consensus goodness? I don't know, but what matters is I do these things. Now, I don't know whether... Like, that's a bit extreme, right? The whole um, the elevator chicken thing. But, um, but like, uh, do you have that sort of stream of consciousness? Do you ever have times where you're rolling through your mind all the things that you do? All the things that you do that are good? Or at least all the bad things that you see others do that you don't do? Uh, trying to work out whether you are good enough. Trying to work out whether you've done enough trying to work out whether you are kind of better than the average. Uh, Because today we're asking this question, hey Jesus, how good is good enough? And it's a question that whether we're kind of actually explicitly asking it, we're kind of asking it all the time, aren't we? How good is good enough? How much effort do I need to put in here? Is it okay if I cut that corner, Jesus? Will it really matter? See, even if we're not actually asking this, often we're assuming this. We're assuming this all the time, and we're often assuming that we're going to be on the positive side of this ledger. Uh, And the reason we're asking this question, the reason we're assuming this is a reality, is because uh, there's an assumption that sits behind it that we kind of all implicitly believe. And the assumption is that the default mode for for almost all people, the default mode is, the assumption we have is that good people go to heaven. That's kind of our assumption. Most of us believe... Uh, even Christians, non-Christians, people of other religions, most of us believe that there is a connection between how well we live in this life and then what will happen to us after we die. Uh, We believe just fundamentally that the two are somehow related. Before death and after death are linked. And the thing that makes the link is how well we live in this life. Now, people will think different things about what happens when we die. Christian people will think that there's a place called heaven uh, and good people will go to be with God in heaven. Uh, Some people think that uh, after this life there's either paradise to enjoy or punishment to endure. And depending on how you live, you either go to paradise if you're good and you go to punishment if you're bad. Uh, Some people believe in some sort of reincarnation uh, that will come back as another creature on a different place in the social pecking order. Uh, And and where we come back is determined by how well we've lived. And so if you do good, you move up the ladder. If you do bad, you, 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 go, you go down the ladder. Maybe you come back as a cockroach or, or an Australian or something like that. <laughs> now, when I said that at morning church, it got super awkward. <laughs> I don't think enough people there knew that I'm Australian. And, yeah, it was weird. Thank you, night church. I appreciate it. Anyway, however you define heaven, however you define what happens after life, most, or what happens after death, most people on the planet believe there is a connection between how well you live in this life and what happens after you die. And most people on the planet, and most people in this room, I think it's fair to say, assume that we're good enough uh, to make it to a better place after we die. We assume that we're pretty good, so we'll be okay. Now, why do we think that good people go to heaven? Like, why do we think that if you live a good life, good things will happen to you after you die? What, why do we think that? 
I've got three reasons why I think we think that. The first is it seems like a pretty fair system, doesn't it? Seems fair, right? Um, in our house, if, if, if our kids behave well, they get rewarded. If they misbehave, they get punished. Uh, they get put in time out, they lose their privileges. So, you know, on Friday afternoon, if you've done all your chores for the week, you get your pocket money. Uh, if you hit your brother, you get sent to your room. It's pretty simple. Do good, good happens to you. In society, the same happens. Uh, if you keep all the laws in our society, life goes better for you. If you break the laws, then there's consequences and life will go bad. At work or at uni, you do a good job. You get the marks that you deserve. Maybe you get the promotion. Maybe you get a raise or a bonus. If you don't do a good job, if you don't work hard on that assignment, well, maybe you'll fail. You'll drop out of your course or you won't get that promotion or you won't get that bonus at the end of the year. You see, doing good and then being rewarded for it seems to be fair across almost all area of life. It seems to be the way things work. Good behaviour gets rewarded. Bad actions get punished. And so we assume that this is how life and death will work. Do a good job in life, then you'll be rewarded. Do a bad job in life, then you'll be punished. Seems like a fair system. That's one of the reasons why we assume good people go to heaven. Next reason we think that uh, is because uh, on the surface, it seems that this is what the Bible teaches. Uh, Most people would assume, just from a cursory look at the Bible, that the Bible teaches that good people go to heaven and bad people don't. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, the Bible it tells us that God is, you know, he's a thing and, he, and that God is good. And the Bible teaches us that there's a good place where we can go and be with God after this life. And so good God hangs out in this good place and we call it heaven. And so it seems to make sense that good people will go there to be with good God in good heaven, right? And at a quick glance at the Bible, it seems like it's, that's what it might be saying. I mean, we get these rules, we get these things, we get the Ten Commandments. Uh, and then there's that golden rule, uh, do unto others what you have them do unto you. And, then, and we assume that if we, if we keep these rules, then good things will happen to us and then good things will happen to us after we die. And it's easy to get the sense that keep the rules and get the reward. Uh, there's even uh, parts of the Bible like Matthew 13, which, which kind of at a first reading seems like that's what Jesus is teaching. Uh, I've got it up here on the screen, Matthew 13. Uh, Jesus is teaching about his kingdom. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it'll be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. You see, it looks like the good will be collected up and gathered to be with God and the wicked, they'll be separated out and they'll be thrown away. You see, we assume that good people go to heaven because at least on the surface, it seems that that's what the Bible is teaching. I think the third reason we think that good people go to heaven is because most of us actually assume that it includes us. Most of us, we assume that we're good people. I mean, you might not, I mean, you might admit, you're not a saint like Mother Teresa or Richie McCaw, but you're like, you're better than average, right? And we look around the society and we look at the news and we read about the people who are murdering others and who are robbing banks and the people who are invading neighbouring countries or putting sugar in their coffee and we think, I'm not that bad. I'm a pastor. I've spent a lot of time talking with people. And most people assume that when they die, they'll go to heaven. I've never heard someone talk to me and say, look, I'm really concerned that I'm a bad person and that God's not going to let me into heaven. No one's ever said that to me. Most say, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm sure I'm not perfect, 
but I'm pretty sure I'm good enough. So one of the reasons we think that good people go to heaven is because we think that we will make it. So it seems fair, it seems what the Bible teaches, and we think we'll be all right. But if this is how many of us think, we've actually got a real problem. There's a real issue we have. And this is where our question for Jesus comes in. See, the problem we have, the massive issue we have, is that we actually don't know how good good enough is. We actually don't know. We might have a guess. We might hope that God is feeling generous when our time comes. But to be honest, none of us really understand the measure. Sorry, none of us really understand the standard by which we'll be measured. Uh, We're in the dark. It's like we've enrolled in a paper and in the first class the the lecturer arrives and and the lecturer arrives and says, okay, the final exam, 20th of June. Everything in this paper rides on that one exam, 100% of your mark. And just to let you know, there's no syllabus, there's no course notes, there's no readings, there's no past papers, there's no lectures or tutorials. Uh, Don't contact me, I'm away on sabbatical all semester. I'll see you on the 20th of June for the final exam. Good luck. And you say, wait, 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 wait. One test, and our whole paper hangs on that one test. Yep. No syllabus, like we can't find out what, what, what the content of the course is. Yep, that's right. No lectures, no readings, no past papers. Correct. And then the lecturer walks out, never to be seen again. You'd never sign up to a paper like that, would you? You'd never walk into that exam feeling confident that you you knew what you needed to know to to pass that exam, would you? That's craziness. Now, if we believe that uh, good people go to heaven, but we don't know how good good enough is, then that's exactly what we're trying to do. That's exactly what we're trying to do. There is a final exam. Our, Our eternal future depends on it, and we don't know what's in the test. We've got no idea whether we'll measure up. We actually need to know. We need to know how good good enough is, don't we? And it's kind of almost with that sense of panic that this, this, this young man falls at the feet of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. This man comes and throws himself at the feet of Jesus with almost this exact question. He's on his knees and he is pleading with Jesus. Uh, it's there in Mark uh, chapter 10 verse 17. Uh, he, he comes to Jesus and he falls on his knees and he says, verse 17, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's our question, isn't it? Jesus, how good is good enough? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, now this man, he's genuine. Uh, he's on his knees before Jesus. He's not just kind of in a philosophy class asking hypothetical questions. He is pleading as though his life depends upon it. And this man, from everything we know in the Bible, his life is going well. Uh, it's not as though he's kind of down on his luck and he's, he's kind of hit rock bottom and he just needs to find a way out and a way up. Uh, he, he, he's, he, he's, his life is going great. It's not as though he's done something terrible and he's, he's wondering how he can free himself of the guilt. From what we know of him, he's rich. Uh, he has great wealth. Uh, back then that was actually seen as a sign of God's favour. Uh, that this person was a person who was blessed by God, that maybe they actually had lived quite a good life and God had blessed them materially. Uh, And he's young, we know from other parts of the Bible. This guy's in the prime of his life. It's not like he's kind of knocking on death's door and he's kind of worried about what's going to happen next week. And he's a ruler. He's got power and authority and independence. He has options. 
He's not stuck in a corner trying to work out a way out. And we know that this guy is good. He's a good man. We see this in verse 20. Uh, In verse 20 he says he's kept all the rules. Uh, Verse 20, uh, he says to Jesus, Teacher, he declared, I've kept all these rules since I was a boy. Now, Jesus doesn't, like, Jesus will know whether that's true or not. Jesus doesn't kind of step in and go, No, you haven't. I remember when you were four and you you swore at your mother or whatever. Um, No, Jesus rolls with it. He's a good man. But he comes desperately to Jesus and he's asking our question How good is good enough? Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now just stop for a second. What do you expect Jesus to say to this guy? What do you expect him to say? Do you expect him to say, go to church. Give, all your, give, give your money to uh, the church. Pay your taxes. Do you think he's going to tell this guy, you need to spend some more time praying or reading your Bible? Or is Jesus going to say, you need to just try and do more good than bad or make, leave the world a better place than when you found it or have a positive impact on the lives of those around you? What must I do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? Jesus, how good is good enough? Well, Jesus looks at this rich young ruler uh, and we know what, from what it says there that, that Jesus is going to give him an honest answer. He's going to answer him straight. Verse 21 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. You see, Jesus isn't trying to trick him. He's not trying to disappoint him. He's not trying to make things more difficult than they need to be. Jesus loves this person. And so Jesus is going to give him an honest answer. And the answer is the one thing he cannot do. It's the one thing he will not do. Now, if we're honest, our own personal goodness, it only stretches so far, doesn't it? We've all got our lines of how far we're willing to go or the thing we were unwilling to do. Uh, That quote that I began with, you know, that guy who lays down his seat on the bus like someone might lay down their life for another soldier. Uh, Well, that long passage of self-justification that we read, it was all building to the one thing he will not do. Uh, Do I do all of these things because I'm a good person? I don't know, but what matters is that I do these things because there is one thing I have not done. There is one thing I will not do. There is one thing I will never do. There is one thing I'll grow angry enough at you to throw spitballs at you if you ask me to do it. And that one thing is to swap seats with you on the plane. <laughs> Talk about um, getting really passionate about a nothing. Anyway, uh, for some reason, no matter how benevolent this person is, he will not change seats with you on the plane. Uh, and uh, that's his one thing, he says. The one thing he will never do. I'm sure there's more than that. I'm sure that we all have more than one thing. But Jesus puts his finger on the one thing that this rich young ruler will not do. The one thing he cannot do. Verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Sell everything, then come follow me. You see, we need to look at Jesus' answer here quite carefully. There's two parts to his answer. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, uh, just give away your riches and um, that's good enough. As though that's, 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 that's not the one thing he needs to do. No, Jesus says, sell everything and follow me. 
get rid of everything you have that you love more than me and then follow me. It's as though by uh, leaving it all behind and following Jesus, he's proving that Jesus is his number one priority. Jesus is asking this man to trust him, to have faith in him. He's asking this rich man to rearrange his life with following Jesus as his number one priority. Because that is what's good enough. Hey Jesus, how good is good enough? Well, Jesus says to put me first above everything else. To trust and follow and submit to me. That is what is good enough. But what happens here, verse 22, at this, this man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Uh, The rich young ruler, he couldn't be good enough. He couldn't do it. He couldn't place following Jesus over and above his wealth. He wanted to put following Jesus alongside his wealth. He couldn't put it over and above his wealth, and so he leaves disappointed. Now, this is a real problem for us. If this man couldn't do it, if, if he wasn't able to be good enough, what hope do we have? I mean, just in case you're sitting there thinking um, the rich young ruler here's a bit of a greedy guy, if you're sitting there thinking, man, if I was in his sandals and I would have, I would have sold it all and I would have followed Jesus, I would have, I would have done it. Um, if you think that's how uh, things would have kind of played out for you, well, look at what the disciples say. Look at their response in verse 26. Verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? You see, they've seen this brilliant young man come to Jesus, this man who had been really, really good, this man who, had, who everyone else would have said, this guy is good enough. If anyone was good enough, this guy could do it. And the disciples have seen him walk away from Jesus, walk away disappointed. And so they say, if this guy can't do it, who then can be saved? How good is good enough? We want to say things like, look at what I've given away. We want to say things like, look at how I've come to church. We want to say things like, look at how I serve. We want to say things like, look at all the times I've given blood or my recycling. We want to say, I'm honest, I'm hardworking, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a thief, I'm not a dentist, I haven't done anything evil. But according to Jesus, none of us are good enough. Even the best of us are going to come up short. And so the disciples are asking this question, who then can be saved? At which point... Jesus speaks again, all hope isn't lost. I hear these words in verse 27. Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You see, there is hope. There is hope with God. There is hope only in God. As we read more of the story of Jesus, we see the hope for eternal life. We see it isn't in what we need to do, but our hope for eternal life is in what God has already done. I'll say it again. Our hope isn't in what we need to do. Our hope for eternal life is only in what God has already done. It's worth thinking about the difference between do and done. 
do is all about work, the stuff you need to get, you get into, you, effort you need to pour out. Uh, doing is about achieving something. Uh, you do the dishes, you do your job, you do your assignment, you do the exam. Uh, you do it yourself. Doing is all about you working to achieve something. And that's what the rich young ruler comes to Jesus asking, doesn't he? He asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And because he's asking what he must do, he leaves disappointed because he can't do it. But done is different. When something is done, there's nothing left to do. Done is about resting. Done is about enjoying. The cleaning is done. The assignment is done. The washing is done. The job is done. The to-do list is done. There is nothing left to do. And that's a great place to be, isn't it? When everything is done. And so if we can't be good enough by what we do, well then what has God done? Well, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, um, one of the disciples who was there and watched this rich young ruler walk away disappointed, later on in his life, Peter would write this in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. He'll write this about Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he'll write, He himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. Notice the tense there. He's talking about what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has done is he's borne our sins on the cross. And what that means is that the punishment that we deserve because we can't be good enough, well, Jesus has taken that, place, taken that for us by dying in our place on the cross. And that is done. That is completed. That is finished. Which means our failure to be good enough is no longer what defines us if we trust in what Jesus has done. What he has done for us. So how good is good enough? Well, God's word is clear. What Jesus has done, his death on the cross, what Jesus has done, that is the only thing that is good enough. And so tonight, if you uh, have been trusting in your own work, your own effort, or if you've been trusting in all the things that you can do to please God, to get on his side, to, to, to be okay in the end, can I invite you to come and trust in what Jesus has done? You no longer have to work hard to impress God, but just trust in Jesus and what he has done and follow him. And if you're someone who's been a, a, a follower of Jesus for a while, and maybe you've fallen back into this habit of thinking about it's what you need to do, that you need to be doing X, Y, and Z to keep God happy. No, no. God is pleased with you because of what Jesus has done. And you can rest secure in that. It frees you up to serve God, not to earn brownie points, not to earn your way into heaven, not to earn something from God, but serve him as the God who has loved you because of what Jesus has done. To follow him. To follow him with your whole life. So come to Jesus, trust in what he has done, and you will inherit eternal life.
Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your words. Lord, as we just uh, think about how good is good enough, it's clear that we are not on our, own, on our own good enough. But only what Jesus has done is good enough. And so, Lord, we pray that we might trust in Jesus, that we might trust in him and follow him, and follow him all the way to eternal life with you. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.